Welcome to Fired Up Friday. I'm Gerard Papa, Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt and Principal Consultant at Dynamic Resolutions Group, DRG. Have you heard the old saying, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing right the first time? Well, I not only believe this, but I live it every day. My goal was to help the business world embrace it. I have process improvement and strategic planning expertise, and I seek opportunities to tackle challenges with a focus on innovation, efficiency, and quality. I have over 25 years of customer service experience in the hospitality, retail, IT, and healthcare industries. Good afternoon. Marty? Hi, Gerard, how are you? Good, thanks for joining. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited. So today we will be discussing, as you all know, topics that fire me up. And today's topic is the performance evaluation process. And I'm really excited to uh, have Marty join me today, uh, my networking buddy. Uh, we have a lot of similarities, and I think we're both very supportive of each other, so I'm glad. And I'll let you talk a little bit about yourself, but I think you're perfect for this podcast. So go ahead. Hi, Gerard. Hello, everyone. My name is Marty De Silva, and I am fired up on this Friday, as you, I know you are, Gerard. I am a leadership coach and playwright, and I'm passionate about the development of people and really excited about the topic that we have today. Thank you again for joining. So like always, the, the uh, process that we're going to kind of follow is talk about some of the challenges uh, that we have with this process you know, the, how it impacts kind of the organizations and employees specifically, and then talk about solutions in the future. And I think uh, Marty and I were talking earlier, and I think actually this is the first podcast where there's actually a lot of hope because a lot of the organizations out there are now realizing that the former process uh, is not working. So I think we have really more solutions and more progress than any of the other uh, processes that we've talked about so that's actually good and uh, i think it's it's a good uh a good way of kind of talking about organizations actually realizing something and then adapting and changing uh fairly quickly so i think this is this is a good thing so the the things that you and i both have experienced marty and i know your career especially probably from as an employee and as a coach which i think is which i think is uh unique because you can you can talk to it from both from both aspects where me I'm just talking about it from from the employee perspective maybe from a management perspective to having people report to me but the things that I've seen uh, based on data and based on my experiences is really four kind of major I would say challenges the fact that it's done typically yearly which I which we'll talk about a little bit more being changed uh, so getting just an evaluation and having one conversation the fact that it's usually one-sided, uh, so the managers actually or your supervisors actually talking to you as opposed to making it more interactive. Uh, you don't really talk about development, uh, which is key, I think, to anyone's happiness uh, in the work environment and really in life. Uh, and then a lot of times, and this has been my experience, is you're trying to fit it into a budget. So you are basically bucketing people so that you have a wide range of excellence, mediocre and below average, because you only have so many dollars that you can give out as far as raises go. So what are some yeah, experiences? Go ahead. 
Completely agree, um, Gerard. And one of the things that I find um, both as an employee and also as a, a person whose career has been an HR for a long period, um, it's it's the worst. The annual performance process was generally the worst time of year for a lot of people because um, there were visions of smoke-filled rooms and a bit of horse trading right, exactly. and advocacy. Um, and uh, I remember actually many, many years ago, an employee came up to me and he said, you know, gosh, it looked like you've lost weight. And I said, oh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And then he started laughing. I said, oh, this is the buttering up process before we go into the smoke-filled room. And of course he was teasing, but I, I do think there's some truth that uh, some of the things that happen are, are not based on actual performance, but you know, a lot of subjectivity um, you know, it really depends on your relationship with the people that are evaluating you and yeah. um, not a lot of guidance about how to remove that subjectivity. Oh. And so what you end up having is some kind of end uh, result, but not an end result that necessarily is the is the fair one. Well, I think let's let's go back to the smoke filled room, because I think this is a great analogy. Right. You, you get a group of people together. And they're basically talking about how they can come to whatever dollar or conclusion that they can come to. So typically at the end of the year, people are rushed to get things done. And then you're deciding the fate of the organization. And then you're trying to fit the employees in that. So that's where you lose that objectivity because you're trying to fit without even without really evaluating your employees. You have to fit into this what's already pre-decided. Right. So. Absolutely. Right? So smoke filled room. I only have 2% across the board that I can get. Okay. So going into your individual conversations, you already know that you only have 2% to give out. So you're already forcing a manager's hand to fit everyone into that bucket. That's absolutely true. Right? Absolutely. And I think part of the other thing is that what you are dealing with in organizations where, uh, you know, unlike perhaps where the metrics are really quantifiable, say um, an individual who works in sales or an individual who works on the factory floor and is putting together something, so much of a perception of a person's performance is in the eyes of the person writing the evaluation. Yep. And so you're left to kind of interpret, uh, you know, who is the hard grader, who is the soft grader, uh, and people have perceptions about that. Well, her getting a mediocre re review from this person who is historically a hard grader means more than someone getting an excellent review from a soft grader. And it gets, it gets very tricky. And in fact, what's not happening is uh, a stepping back, um, an opportunity for real conversation with staff about what to do with that information at the end of the year. And you're sort of focusing on on the wrong things and in a pay for performance culture uh that is the reality and i think that is still that's the hanging chad at the end of this conversation yeah. you know many many organizations still have to pay for performance so how do you do that in a way that is uh as objective as possible realizing that you've got people coming into a room with uh, a, a whole set of biases that they may or may not be aware of well and i think the first thing is the yearly the yearly quota, so to speak. Yes. That already puts people in tremendous amount of pressure. So I think that the first thing is if you talk about the yearly in organizations are moving towards, you know, the future is realizing that the year 
that year cough and that yearly process. You talked about everyone. No one likes this process, by the way. This includes employees and managers. I think that I think that's safe to say is because it's it's one process and a task that seemed as okay. I need to go through this. It, there's no benefit from either party, and I just have to check the box. Absolutely, and that, I would add, HR doesn't like it any more than exactly, the rest of the population. Exactly for sure. And so you so you get into a lot of things that people do in life. They just check off a box, right? Mm-hmm. So that drives a lot of the other behaviors right away because you're not giving anyone that freedom right away. And you're putting it typically into a time crunch, too, because let's be honest, you're not doing this like four or five months ahead of the time frame that it's due. You're doing this maybe three to four weeks beforehand, and you're just flying through this. So you're not even probably doing a very good comprehensive uh, review of of tasks and, and accomplishments that were done this year or that past year, right? Correct. And, you know, just to put this back to sort of what's the historical basis for, for why we have done things this way, you know, it really comes out of the, um, the war for talent. The uh, IBM kind of set the trend with the forced rankings distribution and that seemed to work in a lot of organizations that were in a pay-for-performance culture. Uh, But I think we're finding now, particularly in the era of uh, the millennial generation who wants more and more regular feedback, that 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 once-a-year performance rating is not doing the job that perhaps it might have done 15, 20 years ago. And another a really good point, because you're talking about a business culture that has significantly changed the way business is done. We talked about millennials not even staying in an organization for 10 to 25 years. That doesn't exist anymore because the stabilization that you would receive from that organization, the uh, benefits, the uh, retirement, none of that stuff really exists to the point where it did in the 50s and 60s, right, where you could expect to get this pension working in an organization for 25 years. So that drives a lot of the other processes, and you can't rely on that. So if one of those aspects are changing, then why wouldn't the rest of them change? And I think the organizations that see that are realizing that. And it's a different marketplace, Mm -hmm. right? It's a different marketplace. Absolutely. And so I think the the good news that you and I are both seeing is that we're moving away from this once a year annual data dump that may or may not have um, a reality and a uh, a basis, in fact, to performance to more contemporaneous regular feedback and development conversations. Right. Right. And, you know, so that gets into like that next point, these one sided conversations. And from my experience, uh, unfortunately, you know, I've had a lot of one sided conversations where they where my supervisor manager basically just goes through and just tells me and it's not interactive and you don't have discussions. Um, When I consider a conversation one sided, they they haven't asked me my opinion, nor have they looked at okay, here's your strengths and here's your weaknesses or here's an opportunity for development and then taking that conversation and saying, okay, what are we going to move you into from a development standpoint? Because when I see something one-sided, it's, it's more, I'm going to dictate and tell you what. And 
the employee does not get that guidance to move because if you have talent and if you have opportunity and if and if you have uh, an upside why wouldn't you take that employee and help develop them and this is the process that's supposed to help drive that but that's not what happens because again you're checking a box and you're telling someone okay this is what you did this year thank you very much and here's your two percent and then you move mm-hmm. on, right and and i think the great challenge here is that many managers are are not hired because they know how to coach and develop people. They're hired because they know how to execute on other, on other processes, whether it be client work or um, serving the organization, being an engineer and the management and the coaching and development pieces always takes a back seat to the full-time job. And oftentimes they don't have the uh, equipment and the training and the learning to really be able to engage in what can be a productive conversation. And, you know, I know many, many well-intentioned managers who dread having the candid conversation and would rather soft pedal a, a more difficult message because frankly, it's, it's hard. Yeah. And I, and, and I yeah. not to interrupt you, but I think that's where your value comes in because I think that's where your skill set. And you're good at that, but you're to your point, managers are made managers because they did something really well, not because they're good at managing people. Right. And, and I think, yes. And I think, um, you know, where HR folks can also play is being able to guide those conversations and make sure that they are productive. Um, and I think employees are really, really well served to also take charge of that conversation and make sure that they're not just being a passive listener. Okay, here's your rating, uh, job well done, you keep doing what you're doing, and it doesn't really mean anything. So coming into a conversation, being well prepared, and obviously that's also scary, especially if you suspect that maybe some of the news is not good. Yeah. Uh, but what's the worst that can happen? That you get the bad news early such that you have a chance to act on it and do be, be perform differently or you get it too late and uh, you no longer have a relationship with that organization and you're, you're gone. Well, and I think a, a couple of points that I want to, that I want to focus on too, like next, the fact that you don't want to come in as an employee in a passive way. Right. And you do need to take some responsibility and you need to be assertive in those situations because you have to look out for yourself. And I agree. And being prepared is another way, you know, documenting what you did, saving emails that people might have sent to you, right. Praising you, uh, things that you could bring into that conversation that would say, here's, here's some of the feedback that I received, you know, and, and really taking, uh, taking some ownership with providing that feedback. So I think that's a good point. And then I want to focus on the HR perspective of it, because I think your background you can you can talk to this and how HR is leveraged or not leveraged in this process. You know, it doesn't seem like HR really is leveraged for those things. It's more like I have benefit questions. And so what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, again, it depends. I, I As an HR person, I felt that I was leveraged. Uh, I, I think you could still be a more powerful person at the table. HR is not is not the enemy. And I can understand during this time of the year, HR can be seen in that way. But I think there are a couple of ways in which HR can play a strong part. One, in the meetings is, is making sure as 
as your participants are reviewing the performance of the people on their team that you ask the tough questions. I think one of those tough questions is, how might you be wrong about this? Uh, what is it that you're not seeing? Um, we, we all come in, there are people that we love to work with and that there are people that are harder for us to work with. Making sure that we bring it back down to a constructive conversation and challenging assumptions that people make. Yeah, that's a good point too. I, I remember hearing more times than I could shake a stick at uh, the conversation about somebody's motivation, which is really hard to quantify, but somebody who was of quiet demeanor being, you know, the, the conversation around the table was, well, this person doesn't have fire in the belly. And what does that actually mean? And how are you making that assessment? What, yeah, what behaviors yeah, introverted. show you that that person, now maybe there are real behaviors that would suggest that person doesn't have fire in the belly, but maybe that person is, is just diligent and quiet yeah. and is not as aggressive as his or her peers. So I think asking those really hard questions in the meetings as an HR person and also being available post-meeting to confer with managers who are preparing to have the discussion and to encourage thoughtful conversation. Listen, you owe it to this staff person to be as candid as possible. We can role play. I can give you advice. I can participate if it's useful. I think that's the place where HR can play. And as well with the staff, you know, if you know you're preparing to go into a meeting, you know, come and talk to me if you're having some angst about what that conversation might look like. Well, and again, you, the, the points that you brought up are awesome from a process perspective. From my perspective is because, first of all, you're advocating several touch points, which I think is effective, right? So you're not just doing it at the beginning, but you even said follow up, right? So having that feedback loop and that follow up point, which I think will help close the loop a little bit more and make sure that those conversations did take place and they were constructive. So I think that's a good point. And the other thing about you know, stereotyping, right? Essentially, if this person's quiet, they're a certain type of person. Um, you know, there's no, there's no confusion of the type of person I am. I think people pretty quickly get that the way I talk and the you know very animated. But you could see how people would start stereotyping certain people, and that that might be a total false assumption to your point, and that causes problems because then you're not going to effectively evaluate that employee's performance, not objectively, at least. And, you know, there, there are other things I think that come into that conversation as well. You know, the, the old, the mini me, we look for the person yes. who we identify with. And yeah. if it's a person we can't relate to, uh, are we going to give that person a, a fair shake? And so again, HR being the challenger, you know, so tell me, explain this a little bit more about how you reached that assessment of this person. Um, I think the uh, one of the challenges I often witness and certainly experience as an employee is if you get off to a great start or you get off to a slow start, that can often interfere with uh, a contemporaneous perception of your performance to date. If you were the star, somehow that star never seems to go away. Yeah. And if you had the horns... The horns never seem to go away and people have very long memories and they have a hard time getting rid of the old assessment and taking on the new assessment. Well, and, and again, uh, if you if you use it from this perspective, you know, the, this from article, the top eight problems in performance appraisal process, and you kind of listed a bunch of them. 
you know, these are the nine most common errors. And the, the kind of the errors that we've talked about is the bias, the stereotyping, the halo or the horns effect, right? This mm-hmm. you had talked about earlier about some people are harder when they when they go through this point system and some are more lax. Um, you know, that's a leniency, central seven, uh, seven, uh, severity tendency error. Um, you have this birds of the feather that flock together. We talked about people that can see themselves in that person, you mm-hmm. know, similarity error. So you have those things that you listed out that are that are, have already been documented. So these are very common things that people, I don't think, realize that they're kind of fitting in these, these kind of common errors. And I think I think the, the good news in all of this is that uh, organizations as a whole are recognizing that these sorts of perceptions interfere with a clean, as clean as it can be, performance evaluation process. So that is the good news. Uh, and the movement in organizations towards regular feedback, towards having discussions that are more or broader than, well, this is your performance. You got a two this year. Your bonus was X amount of dollars. Congratulations. Keep it up. Really focusing on what a holistic conversation looks like. Now, is that actually happening on the ground? Yeah, well, that, uh, not that, sure. So that's the, that's the future state. But I think organizations are starting to recognize that something more and different has to happen in the evaluation process to make it as as fair as as it could possibly be and and to adapt to the changing market and again i think you're really good at segues by the way thank you uh, <laughs> that's a wonderful <laughs> segue. so if you talk about and i'm gonna i'm gonna quote something here from the five game-changing performance management trends for 2018 i think this is an article that you sent me yes and i underlined this and i'm gonna read this because i think this is a great quote so as we enter 2018 companies will follow the examples of global giants such as General Electric and Microsoft, who have stripped out complexity, such as annual appraisals, ratings, calibration meetings, and competency assessments, focusing instead on regular quality performance conversations and feedback. Deloitte's 2017 Global Human Capital Trends found that 96% of companies who have done this say their processes are now simpler, and 80% Three percent say the quality of the conversations between employees and managers has gone up. So that is the future, right? And I think uh, I think the big boys start that trend, and then everyone else, like anything else, if you want to if you want to compete, you have to adapt. Uh, and everything else seems like the marketplace is driving towards that, which is a good thing for you and I. Right? It's a great thing, absolutely, and it's a good thing for the employees. Yes. Um, yes. So the things I think that still need to be developed, if I can, you know, sort of yes. offer this as well, yes. as we look to the future, yes. you know, yes. the future is bright, but there's and and slash, but I think there are a couple of challenges. Many organizations really have a hard time with divorcing the pay versus the performance and it doesn't actually work in their models. So even if they completely strip out a performance rating, there's this effect of that. There's actually, there is a performance rating. It's a shadow rating, but now it's just not shared with the employee, but there has to be some way to divide the spoils at the end of the year. So that continues to be a challenge. The, The other thing I think that's the real opportunity is for, um, 
you know, I would say the employees really taking charge of their career. This was something that PwC often said, and I think many employees didn't really heed it because they didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that means uh, make sure you have a conversation where you really understand where you stand and what your prospects are. Come in with good questions. Um, be prepared to receive the feedback and make it as easy as possible for that person to give you the honest feedback because people will uh, often revert to the, oh, no, you're fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. Right. Um, And I think the opportunity also for managers to be a little bit brave and two things, you know, one, have that conversation because as hard as it is, you are doing that person a service by having the clear conversation and two constructive and clear, right? Constructive and clear with action, specific action steps. Absolutely. Uh, And I think also for all of us, as we go into writing an evaluation for somebody, particularly somebody that we may not completely jive with asking the question, how could I be wrong about this? What am I not seeing? And if we have a, another person, a, a, a colleague who we trust, you know, getting a little bit of check-in with that colleague who can push back so that we can, as much as possible, um, ensure that our assessment is as, as fair as we, it can be. And yep. then I guess the final thing I would offer is that yep. I, um, I think employees owe it to themselves to continue to stay on the mark with uh, their careers and, you know, to reach out to their HR folks because the HR folks are on their side, although sometimes it might not seem like it and get, get good advice. And if the conversation's not satisfactory to you or you feel unresolved, go back and have it again. How many people, to be honest, I mean, how, from your experience, most of the time HR has not in my career has not been painted in a good light. And mm-hmm. what have you seen? Cause you've been in the HR, in the HR environment. What, what would you say? Honestly, I, I think that's honestly, I think that's true. Um, oftentimes HR it appears to work at the behest of the, if it's a, if it's a privately owned company, they're at the behest of the owners, they're at the yeah. behest of management. And that's true. Um, but I will tell you that the good HR folks that I know actually really care about doing right by the employees. And that's the stuff that really, um, I don't know anybody who gets excited about headcount forecasting and budget planning. I think most HR professionals get really excited about the deep dive and the development conversations and the progression of staff. And, you know, alternatively, if that staff member is not working out in an organization, having a productive conversation where a staff member can exit with grace and still remain a friend of the organization. Yes. And that's a, that's a, that's a good point. I wanted to go back to one of the points you made because this is something that I tell my kids, uh, you know, you have to be an active participant in your life. I think there are, are plenty of parents that have a supportive mentality. I think I'm a part of that, but they, you know, your kids or the employees still have to take an active participation, an active participant in their success. And when you don't do that, um, you're selling yourself short. And I'm not saying you know the, the organization has to meet you, right, at some point uh, and help you through that. But you do have to play an active role 
And it's not easy to know what you want to do, which I think is part of the challenge. I mean, I wasn't, I was 32 before I realized uh, what I wanted to do and what I was really good at and how I could leverage all of my experience, my talents, my skill set to, to make an impact uh, and challenge still mm-hmm. that earlier. I think you do need to take an active role and think about where you want to be in three to five years. And then the manager should be saying, okay, if you want to be here, then these are the five things you said this, you know, what are those actionable items so that you leave? Here's the five things that you need to do to get there right in the next year or whatever that may be, you know, whatever the time frame is. Yes, exactly right. And I think one further thing, I think organizations have to begin to hold our leaders accountable for their uh, contributions to people development. Yes. And this is going to be where this is the game changer, I think. Oftentimes I've seen where somebody is you know, absolutely terrible with respect to staff management and staff development, but is pretty great in all the other areas, either that person should be fully removed from having to do anything with people and just focus on the work or that person needs, there needs to be some development, whether it means we're not bonusing you this way because you still haven't delivered and we're getting a lot of noise about you as a leader. There has to be consequences for not uh, delivering on development. And I think once there are real consequences that hit you in the paycheck that will also drive better behavior. So if I could take a soundbite from, from this podcast, that would be it because I think you just summarized a lot of what I have seen as shortcomings in organizations. And I have been directly affected by what you just said, because I think that is absolutely what has to happen. Because leaders are not held accountable to those things. And I think a lot of times leaders are intimidated by a lot of their direct reports because they see how good those those, uh, direct reports are and how successful they could be. And they're almost so insecure and intimidated that they don't do the employees right. And I think it has a lot to do with that. And if organizations would flip that and say, this is part of what you need to do. And if you can't do it, we're going to put you in because I've had a couple bosses that need to be put in a basement and they're really good at looking at numbers. Do that all day. Yep. Let and there's, do that all that's day. fine. Crazy. Right. Go nuts. But you will not have people underneath you because you cannot have conversations with people. Absolutely. I think people often equate soft skills with being soft, but I would say soft skills are hard. Uh, being able to have that direct, meaningful, holistic, fulfilling conversation that may be painful in the moment, but really fruitful six months later, uh, it's hard work. It Uh, is hard work and it's continuous. But you know what's going to happen if you do this well and you do this regularly? You know what's going to happen? The organization is going to be better. The organization is going to benefit. Because those employees are going to be able to flourish. And you said this too. If they leave, they're going to leave to bigger and better things. And they're going to leave gracefully. And they're going to leave with a good relationship. Because you never know what could happen in five years. They could come back at a different position. And I don't think organizations, they don't think long term that way. They just don't. In my experience, at least. Yes, I think things are getting better. And they can still be even better. 
you know, as we as we know, the challenges uh, the challenge has been identified. There's been some progress, and I think there's still opportunity. You know, really diving in and making sure the conversations are quality conversations, making sure that the assessments people proffer about an individual are tested in fire, uh, checking in with staff to make sure that they understand where they stand and what they need to do to uh, progress. Right. Uh, that's still part of the journey. And when I've seen it go really well, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It's, it's probably magical, actually. So is there anything else you want to add that we want to summarize and then maybe talk a little bit about what uh, how you can help people in, in, kind of in this process and huh. in the development piece? Uh, I would love to summarize. So I think my summary takeaways are, you know, for those of you who are giving feedback and having to hold these conversations, uh, reach out to your HR leaders for help if you feel uneasy about the conversation that you have to have. Uh, As you're making assessments of individuals, do a little pressure test to make sure that, gosh, am I not seeing this person in the right way? Where can I be wrong? Um, if you're the employee, make sure you ask and part- actively participate in feedback conversations. I would, I would offer that they should you know, send an agenda to your boss and say, this is what I want to cover so your boss can prepare and you should prepare. Yeah, excellent point. Um, I think the other thing is um, – employees should always be prepared. I always have this on the tip of my tongue and then I lose it because I get enamored with what I'm talking about. (laughs) I think employees, uh, I'll come back to it um, because I know it will come, but those, those are the, those are the things that immediately come to mind. So if we talk, if we kind of summarize what we talked about, we talked about the challenges being a yearly event and making it, and it's a tedious process and no one likes it. Right. And we talked about some things to address that the one-sided conversation. You know, you kind of really focused a lot about the employee kind of driving it. We talked about the um, no development talk and not or not being tied to that conversation, just doing it, getting your raise, but not talking about, okay, what does this mean for my future? What things, can, what actionable items can I take in my progress and my development? And then this budget driving these, and you said it, this pay for performance and the really that outstanding challenge is, you know, how do we separate the two uh, and then putting leaders in place where their dollars, their bonuses are tied to developing their employees, the human element of it and taking and separating the two so that we're not driving this. Oh, you hit your number. So here you go, as opposed to but you didn't develop any people along the way. Great. You know, I think those are things well that, said. Right. And I and I think. I think uh, those are things that if those happen, I think this organization model will change and they will be more successful because people will love where they're working and people will be happy and you'll see that growth and that development and internally too, right? Meaning they're not going to go somewhere else. And if they do, if they hit that ceiling, that, that channel, that avenue, that bridge, whatever you analogy you want to use will still be open and you never know what could happen in the future. So Tell, why don't you tell everyone how you can help, because I think you're great at this, uh, in what you're doing now, uh, as we wrap up, tell, tell people what you're doing and who you are as far as your coaching goes and, and how this can help people. 
Oh, thanks, Gerard. And I did remember my last point. Okay, That's an important one. Yeah. Um, I think employees also should make sure they get the opportunities to work for uh, a variety of people. That way, the uh, one person's assessment is not the whole deal yeah. about who they are. Yeah. Uh, and so protect yourself by getting exposure to lots of different people so that you're not tied to one person who may love you or may have issues with you. So that was the final point. Yeah, that's that's um, good. very good. Uh, and so who I am, I'm uh, Martha King De Silva. I'm the founder and principal of a leadership coaching entity called Nascent Leadership Coaching, where I help leaders grow. One of my favorite things to do is to have kinds of these coaching conversations with clients about how they can get themselves to the next level. And uh, you can find out about my services at www.nascentcoaching.com. Great. So I'm going to wrap up. And do you have anything else to add? Again, I want to thank you so much. This is it's always fun um, to talk to you. And I'm glad that we were able to record our conversation today. Uh, me too. I really appreciate the opportunity. I think both of us get fired up about lots of things. Yeah. And uh, it was really energizing. And I uh, have a great weekend. And I enjoyed the uh, chance to to fire it up with you. All right. So as, as, as long as I can remember, I, I've always asked why and how come. And I, I think I challenge conventional thinking. I think that equips me with a unique vantage point or perspective. I think that I can help unlock an organization's potential to implement the right solution. So always ask yourself, uh, what are your pain points? Are you willing to do something different? And are you committed to change? What are your customers saying, right? What are your employees saying? What are your managers saying? Um, but by providing data-driven analytics to determine the root cause of any issue, I can assist in answering those questions. So uh, the Lean Six Sigma tool set process improvement training one and two can help drive some of these things, looking at processes. That training is scheduled for uh, in the Washington, D.C. area, um, Arlington, Virginia, specifically from uh, April 30th to May 3rd. Um, you can register at www.signmeup.com forward slash one two five zero two one and if you have any questions about what i do and how i can help you specifically um, please check out my website at www.dynamicrg.com and at my twitter handle is at drg info and always remember and never forget and rush is one of my favorite bands uh, i don't know if you know that marty but i'm going to quote uh, a verse from grand designs states so much style without substance so much stuff without style it's hard to recognize the real thing it comes along once in a while thank you have a good weekend thanks again marty thank you take care